Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Crime and Court USA. I'm your host, Mundo Carrillo, and welcome. I hope you guys are doing well. Me, I'm finally feeling a lot better. Thanks for asking. My stomach is finally back to normal. I actually went to the doctor just to, you know, make sure that everything was okay and good to go. And uh, I didn't know that diarrhea was a COVID symptom, right? So I get to the door and of course they ask you, they, they take your temperature and then they ask you if you have like, do you have uh, like all these symptoms like fever, cough, uh, lack of taste and smell, blah, 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 and so on. And uh, diarrhea and vomiting, I'm like, oh, no, I have diarrhea. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Um, I can see like the alarms going off in the lady's head, like rear, rear. Oh, great. So she runs off and she starts making a bunch of phone calls and stuff. And I'm just like standing there. It kind of reminded me of the scene from Monsters, Inc. Remember where the one monster has like the sock stuck to his back. And then like the whole like hazmat team comes in and takes him out. <laughs> I thought that was going to happen to me, but nope. Turns out it was all good. So went to the doctor. She basically told me I have a tummy ache and to, to eat some uh, chicken noodle soup and drink ginger ale and just a lot of water and just wait for it to go away. Kind of felt like I was like a little kid in the nurse's office or something, but oh well, what are you going to do? Anyways, I'm feeling good. Back's still a little messed up, but that's all good. It's all good, baby. Anyways, enough about that. <laughs> Let's actually get into some news. This week, the Department of Justice announced that it is investigating policing practices and the culture of the Minneapolis Police Department and the Louisville Police Department. On April 21st, the day after, former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty of murder and manslaughter charges in the death of George Floyd last May, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that the Department of Justice will look into whether the Minneapolis Police Department has engaged in systematic misconduct that constituted unlawful or unconstitutional policing. Garland said the investigation will look into whether Minneapolis police engage in, a, in excessive force or discriminatory conduct or abuse those with mental illness and physical disabilities. The DOJ will also look into how police dealt with protesters like using tear gas and other less lethal weapons as protests erupted in the city after George Floyd's death. Garland said he wanted to wait until after the verdict was reached so as to not influence the jury. And five days later, on April 26th, Garland announced an investigation into the Louisville Police Department in light of the death of 26-year-old Brianna Taylor at the hands of police. In March 2020, Taylor and her boyfriend were asleep when police used a battering ram to break into the house as part of a drug investigation to her ex-boyfriend. Her boyfriend at the time, who was not the boyfriend who was under investigation said he thought the police were intruders and started shooting at them. Police returned fire and hit Taylor six times, killing her. One of the officers was charged not for shooting Taylor, but for wanton endangerment by firing shots in the neighborhood. Three officers involved in the raid were terminated. Garland said this probe will examine whether the Louisville Police Department engaged in systematic abuses and unlawful police tactics. The Louisville investigation comes 13 months after Breonna Taylor was killed. That's kind of a while, but that's because the Trump administration 
has ceased these kinds of investigations because it thought that they affected morale and the effectiveness of police departments. And these these kinds of investigations can take months or years, and they often end with a court-ordered agreement on changes to policing practices. That usually includes new policies and training. Now, a lot of police departments in a lot of cities have a civilian police oversight committee that looks into police use of force cases and policing practices and stuff like that. But they are typically limited in what they can do. Oftentimes, they can't issue subpoenas in a use of force case that investigation. I'm sorry, (laughs) they uh, can't issue subpoenas in a use of force case they're investigating. And they often don't have access to internal affairs files. And sometimes police unions fight against them with lawsuits and other means. They can recommend discipline for a police officer, but most of the time the chief of police has the final say in disciplinary matters and often ignores the committee's recommendation. Give you guys an example. In 2012, the Department of Justice started investigating the Albuquerque Police Department, where I live, and found a pattern of excessive force and discriminatory policing. The department now has a court order to monitor who reviews the progress the department is making under a federal agreement to address the issues. And that is still ongoing now about nine years later. Sticking on to policing and policing practices, police consistently shoot about a thousand people a year, which comes out to nearly three people a day. In fact, six people were killed by police in the 24 hours after Jarek Chauvin's guilty verdicts were read on April 20th, including that of 16-year-old Makaya Bryant in Columbus, Ohio, and Andrew Brown Jr. in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Both of them are black. On Tuesday, April 20th, a Columbus, Ohio police officer fatally shot 16-year-old Bryant as she was lunging at another teen with a knife. The following day, Brown was shot in his driveway as police were attempting to execute a search warrant and arrest warrant on him. Court documents accuse Brown of selling crack, cocaine, meth, and heroin, and he is a convicted felon with a history of resisting arrest. On Tuesday, April 20th, Brown's family lawyers said an independent autopsy revealed that Brown was shot a total of five times, including four times in the arm and once in the back of the head. Lawyers said body camera footage they were shown portrayed Brown getting shot in the back of the head. They were shown a 20-second video, they said, that was only just a snippet of the, of the entire incident and was only from one deputy at the scene. I believe there were a total of eight deputies there. And they said the video shows Brown being shot as he attempts to drive away from the deputies and that his hands were on the steering wheel and he was not reaching for a weapon and was not posing an immediate threat to deputies. Now, again, this is coming from the lawyers who represent the family, and we can't see for ourselves because the body camera footage has not been released. That's despite calls from civil rights groups and even North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper calling for the release of the video. Under North Carolina law, body camera videos can only be released with the approval of a judge. And Pasquotank County, which I'm sorry if I'm not saying that correctly, officials have released few details about the shooting, and government officials are preparing for potential unrest when the body camera footage is released. I've been talking about police over the last few episodes. That's kind of one of the huge topics right now, especially as Derek Chauvin's trial went on. I've said before that that was probably the biggest trial since OJ and certainly the biggest trial on policing since the Rodney King trial, I think. I don't know. I'm only 33 years old. (laughs) I have a limited memory. I'm sure other people uh, might think of bigger cases, but in my memory and in my mind, that was a huge trial and it brought to light 
policing and uh, how policing is done. And people think that this is a tentpole kind of uh, verdict. Again, Derek Chauvin found guilty of murder and manslaughter for kneeling on George Floyd's neck for over nine minutes. And the question is, where do we go from here? Well, and the answer is, who knows? It's, it's, it's just too early to tell. Since the verdict was read, again, the Department of Justice started two investigations, one into the Minneapolis Police Department and another into the Louisville Police Department. But I don't know, I think the change has to come from within, from the local governments kind of changing policing policies, from the departments themselves changing policies. Certainly, I hope that starts with not putting your knee on the back of someone's neck. A lot of it, too, is how do police deal with the mentally ill? I mean, so many people who are shot by police, especially in my experience covering crime and courts in New Mexico, so many are mentally ill. And some people feel that the police are asked to do a lot. They are asked to be law enforcement and there has to be social workers and things like that. And people think that's it's a little too much. That's asking too much of our police. Here in Albuquerque, they started a, shoot, a public safety something. I forget. But anyways, it, they're more like social workers who will respond to a crisis situation and try to talk someone down. A, lo- a lot of police departments have done that across the country where they send in people who are better trained in crisis negotiation and how to deal with people who are going through a mental health crisis. So maybe more of that will start to happen. But again, I think only time will tell on how this verdict really changes things going forward. And I think most police departments have to wear body cam, body cameras across the country. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I feel like it's going that way, right? There's, there's more video than there ever was, especially from the police themselves. Here in New Mexico, actually, it's actually state law now for every single police department in the state, big or small, to have body cameras on their officers. So that's one way. That's that's accountability right there. That's just video proof of what's of what went down as opposed to just one person's word versus the other. So again, you guys, we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. Again, really, only time will tell. All right. Let's move on to some Supreme Court news. The Supreme Court upheld the life without parole sentence for a 15-year-old Mississippi boy who was convicted of stabbing his grandfather to death. That was actually back in 2004, and that boy is now 31 years old. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who was appointed by former President Donald Trump, wrote in the 6-3 majority opinion that a judge only needs to consider the defendant's youth when determining the sentence. This ruling shows a more conservative shift in the Supreme Court, and it shows a reversal in its leniency towards minors. Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote in a dissent that she believed too many juveniles will be sentenced to life in prison now, and she believes the ruling wavers from the court's general rule of upholding precedent, which, again, is um, just leniency towards minors. Democrats have recently introduced a bill to expand the Supreme Court from nine justices to 13 justices. Many believe that's a move to, quote, pack the court with more liberal-leaning justices, but... The bill likely won't go anywhere because House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she wouldn't introduce the bill to the House floor and sides with President Joe Biden's decision to create a committee that will study the possibility of expanding the court. So slow down there, guys. And that uh, that kind of gets into the politics of it all, right? I mean, Democrats control the House, the Senate, and they have the presidency. But the one thing that they don't 
uh, have a majority in is the Supreme Court. So people believe that they're trying to expand the number of justices on the court in order to get more liberals in there and to get things swinging in their favor again. But we'll see. We'll see how that one shakes out as well. That would be a huge shakeup to the system to go from 9 to 13. That would be huge. because that, That'd be, I think, the first time in history that the court has expanded like that. Maybe I'm wrong. But that'd be a huge expansion. Also, it's worth noting that President Biden's uh, executive decision to create a committee to study the Supreme Court will also study lifetime appointments, which as far as I'm concerned, that's lifetime appointments on the Supreme Court have been a thing since the Supreme Court existed. I may be wrong on that. Again, that's the kind of stuff you guys come here for, right? (laughs) Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But either way, uh, expanding the court and possibly not giving justices lifetime appointments, that would, those would be huge changes. So we'll see how that all shakes out. I'm sure that study might take a while. So we might not have seen any movement on that for a while. All right, that's kind of the biggest news of the week. And I have nothing else to say. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys listening. Remember to please rate and review the show on podcast apps. Share it with your friends. Share it with your enemies. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mundo Cario. And until next time, guys, I'm out. Peace.